Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is a rare off-season tears pot with Matt Moore of the Action Network of Locked On NBA and Locked On Nuggets, and we had a lot of fun with it, came together pretty quickly, and I'm absolutely thrilled with the product. It is brought to you by FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com slash Boston, and you can get up to $200 in bonus bets, win or lose, which is awesome. But Matt and I, as usual, we tier the entire NBA. I will let him explain the criteria. You will see it soon enough. And this is, I believe, the longest tiers episode we've ever done. It's well over an hour 20. It might even be an hour and a half, depending on how I edit it. But that is enough for now. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Really love doing this. I always look forward to it. <laughs> yeah, and this one was on short notice, but you had a great prompt. Um, I'm so thrilled that we were able to make it happen. I'll let you explain it. Yeah, so we're going to keep this one um, simple. We're just going to do the, uh, as far as this one goes, we're just going to do overall team strength in tiers today. Uh, just looking at the offseason, and it's really funny to me when I went through and I looked at this uh, this format when I when I did the exercise about how different it is in the preseason and offseason mm-hmm. rather than in the regular season because my top is so much heavier than I know it will be in season. I know that like I have a majority of teams in the top three tiers and then I know that by midseason I will be very much distributed more towards the middle because you're never quite as good as kind of the idea of what these teams should or could be uh, in season is. Yeah along those lines we'll get to this tier later on but like i have one where i I call it like expected top six Mm -hmm. and and there are i believe like eight teams in each conference in like included in that tier and above but the idea is that inevitably some teams will fall out either due to quality but more likely due to injury and so like i at first i'm like oh this is stupid and then i went no that actually seems about right and um I'll I'll leave it to you in terms of the top. There, you said your tiers are a little bit more thickly bunched. Mine get thicker, but aren't thick at the beginning. Uh, I, well, I would concur with that because my I actually on the S tier I only have one. There's only one team that I have at the top. Uh, and that's not your defending Denver uh, Nug- defending champion Denver Nuggets. It is in fact the Boston Celtics. Ooh, yeah. So this is this so, a belief in the Porzingis fit? It's a belief in the Porzingis fit. It's based off of 
a lot of if you if you get past the idea of what Porzingis has been over the last four years and you look more recently now, maybe KP had an outlier season in a contract year and slides. That's entirely possible. Um, maybe you know, the injury concerns, I think, are very are, are very serious with Porzingis. Uh, the combination of Porzingis's health, Robert Williams's health, and Al Horford's age, with the loss of Grant Williams, makes that front court thinner. It makes it to where they're a little bit more vulnerable to what I've started referring to to borrow to crib a term from NFL of cluster injuries. Mm-hmm. If you have, uh, you might have a, a section of the season like two, three weeks where it's like, man, they just don't have a front court right now. Like they just don't have one, and that's possible. But if we look at What Porzingis provides with the ability to have, okay, what's some bread and butter we can run when the offense gets rough? Let's just run pick and roll with Tatum and KP, and we'll be able to create a leverage out of that, whether it's with Tatum or with Porzingis, and that will make things easier for everyone else. It doesn't necessarily solve all of their problems with organization and staying focused the way that they need to with how they play. But it does provide them with some stuff that's not necessarily as volatile as their offense can sometimes be in these late game situations, which, you know, is is a reason for downgrade. Um, Love the shot blocking, you know, him and and Robert Williams and double big lineups is going to be terrifying. Uh, And then that's the overall team strength, like just based off of how I kind of approach my offseason build, which is I've got a power rating that I use for spreads, which is what's your how many points should you be favored by against uh, a team on neutral court? And then you extrapolate that to uh, by a basic measure to establish how many wins they should have. The Celtics are kind of by themselves. They just are they're at they were a level before I factored in the gain of Chris Dapps Porzingis and the loss of Marcus Smart. I initially gave them a pretty a good but not like a, a huge bump because I have so much respect for Marcus Smart. And then upon further reflection, I was just like, I don't want to overweight last season because I think we do that too much where we just react to last season and act like that's who guys are instead of taking three or four year samples of guys' careers when they're veterans. But at the same time, KP was undeniably excellent last year and impactful. And Marcus Smart was a little bit less than he has been. And so year over year, taking last year's rating, I wound up then rebumping them up a little bit. And so I have them quite firmly as the best team in the NBA. That doesn't mean that they're going to win the title. It doesn't mean that I don't think that there's issues all over. Uh, But as kind of an indicator of of where I've got them in in terms of team strength, uh, I have them at 57 wins for this upcoming season as by far uh, they've got a three win gap over the number two team. I respect that argument. And I had a funny moment when I was, I was going through this when you were talking, cause I have them in a tier, I have them in tier one. I just have them with some other teams. And I was like, Oh, you know, with all the, with the moves and the departure of Grant Williams, like the Celtics, they only have seven guys that I really trust in a playoff rotation for them right now. And inevitably players will play better. We'll be like, Oh, player X, you know, whether that's Pritchard or they'll sign somebody on the buyout market or something to happen. But when you compare them to some of the other teams, like seven's actually kind of a lot. Like that's just the way, the way this works out. Talent is a little bit more distributed and that might be in some ways part of the, one of the intended effects of the new CBA is the idea that like Boston didn't find it tenable to retain Grant Williams and everything else. And so I, I'm largely on board with you. The one note that I'll add, which is going to be so fascinating for this team is I think that this is a harder coaching job now. Mm-hmm. It, 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 the, the roster is a little less balanced 
balance can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing, but you brought up the like the injuries in the front court, but it's also a, a thinner backcourt now. I have not been the biggest Marcus Smart partisan over the years, but he does raise the team's floor. And like, so now if Derek White's having an off game, if Brogdon's dealing with an injury, like they don't have as many places to go, even if the Celtics need their guards to do less than almost any other team in the NBA. Um, you could make an argument that the only team that needs them to do less is the Denver Nuggets, but that's a little bit different. Um, and and so that's that's something I consider. But I ended up with Boston, and I so I had three teams, and I, I, t- I my tier t- like they're they're loosely described. But what I said on this one is they're title top end, so meaning they have that championship group and they're regular season deep. So meaning like, and there's a specific I'm excluding a specific team from that probably. Um, where it's like I, I think that they have a fundamental different for like for Boston I could see things not working but it would it would surprise me if they won fewer than 50 games and the other teams that broadly fit that description one is the reigning defending champion Denver Nuggets and the other is the Milwaukee Bucks and the Bucks are the most tenuous of these three to me I I think that not only is it the 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 regular season deep part of it that makes me a little queasy I mean they have these phenomenal top end players that you can put other guys around them but it does seem like the Bucks are perpetually thinning out other than the best guys but it's also you know they lost Mike Boonholzer who's one hell of a head coach and I don't know I I think that their floor is going to be roughly the same because their best guys are this good but there there's a part of me that's like you idiot they're not as reliable as these other two I will be quite honest I had to very much scrap and claw um to put them in my tier two Ooh, okay and a lot of that is I put them there because of the reasons that people would say you have to have them in there, which is they have Giannis, the minutes and win record with Giannis, Drew, Chris and Brooke are incredible. Like they win a metric ton of games. They kill teams. The depth, as you kind of talked about, is not there. It continues to kind of degrade like Javon Carter does not matter in a vacuum. Javon Carter matters when it's they did not replace him with anything notable. And I don't, you know, Joe Ingles doesn't matter on his own. It matters when you don't replace him with anything necessarily all that notable. And so I have a hard time kind of getting around what we saw last year because um, there was a big reason why I wasn't betting and was actively betting against Milwaukee in the various markets that we track. And some of this is just that, you know, my projected power rating had them significantly lower and they kept winning games because sometimes teams do that and they have the capacity to do that. But when we really start to talk about like the top seven, when we get past that top five um, and really when we get past the top four, Mm -hmm. it just it's like Bobby's probably their fifth best player overall because I like him more than Grayson or Pat Connaughton. And you're just like, ooh, I I, I don't know if Bobby should be fifth best. And then it's like Pat Connaughton. Should he be this? You know, should Grayson Allen be their fifth best or sixth best player? I mean, don't can, love can I, that. The weirdest thing about the Bucks: how many players do they have on this team that are legitimately good at dribbling? Yeah. It's not many. It's kind of weird with them. And like they've the yeah. idea of just like get a set it and forget it backup point guard who costs like 
$4 million a year. Like, I, I would feel so much more comfortable in their regular season four if they had a guy like that or had any of the last couple of years. Marjan was not impressive in Summer League. Maybe he pops. Maybe one, maybe Andre Jackson pops. Like, there's upside potential here for for events that we can't really project, but being, like, pretty stable in our in our projections, it just gets really tough, especially, I think, when we kind of look at um, the numbers... And honestly, this is my experience watching them play. It wasn't just a numbers approach. They just simply weren't as good as that win total. Right. They just they were not a number one seed team last year. And it wasn't surprising to me. I, I put out my, my first round project, pr- predictions on Twitter, and I'm not just victory lapping here, but like I said, Bucks and seven over the heat. And everyone thought I was crazy. Like, I mean, it was like, you're absolutely out of your mind. What would you makes you think that this is even going to be close? And I was like, Miami is always going to be a pain. And the Bucks are not as good as they look. And, you know, the injury is is probably what decided that series. But the reason that they weren't able to sustain an injury even to their best player and get that to six or seven games is because of their overall team strength. Um, and so I look at that and I go, so wait, we got the same team with less depth with another year on the old guys. Yes. They are a very old team now with, you know, Giannis already sitting out FIBA with his injury concerns. And then you have this downgrade in coach where they get, I think is one of the most fascinating things when we talk about like perception versus reality, because everyone was like, Mike Budenholzer is not good enough. He's too inflexible. And I'm like, all of these things are postseason issues. Mike Budenholzer annihilates the NBA regular season. He did it in Atlanta. He did it every single season with the Milwaukee Bucks. And betting on that has been extremely profitable. So from the lens that I look at, dropping from Mike Budenholzer to almost any other coach from a regular season perspective is a massive drop, let alone going to an unproven coach in his first year. So you, you convinced uh, me I moved them down. They're in tier two for me now. Yeah. I, I, I just can't, I can't get there with them being, and it's like, yeah, but Giannis, and that might be enough. That really might honestly be enough because of how dominant he is. And Brooke was amazing last year, got paid. Um, Chris was good when he was healthy, got paid. Maybe he plays through a little bit more stuff because he doesn't have to worry about getting the contract. Like those kind of things can shift things. And, and like but, maybe Griffin does a great job, but this is about confidence and certainty. And we can't be certain yeah. of anyone who's never been an NBA coach. It's interesting that your top tier is is bigger, but you kind of have these teams that are there. And then like how much would you say is the gap between your tier one and your tier two? M- moderate, not super, not not high for sure. And then but I wouldn't say it's like razor thin. Um, right. But what's your tier two? So I've got the Denver Nuggets mm-hmm. um, would be in tier one, if not for the loss of their veteran depth and my questions about essentially their motivation and also that their numbers weren't quite as good last year as they kind of looked from a regular season perspective. You can explain a lot of that with like the first two months of the season and the last month of the season. And that's fair. That's also kind of who they are. Like I'm not expecting this team to come out. There's a possible, I've been you know talking about this a lot on locked on nuggets, which I host, which is there's a possibility that I'm completely wrong. And Denver comes out motivated because sometimes you win that championship and you, you understand who you are and you thrive and you make a run the next year. That's even better like we've seen that the 14 before. 15 warriors mm-hmm. a good example or, sorry of that. 15 16 yeah 15 16 another good example of that honestly in, in in terms of more recent is like i think that the 2022 bucks 
were oh yeah were actually way better than the 21 bucks they just happened to run into the chris middleton injury versus boston so you've got like this that's impossible that the, that the nuggets come out next year and just they are able to casually and very easily dominate the regular season because of the strength of their top five but boy is that depth gone any injury after a long long playoff run with jamal murray playing in in fiba and nikola Jokic. there's a lot of uh, like suggestion he will play we don't know yet those two questions are going to lead into how much those guys are available that all factors in when you lose the kind of depth that they did um so denver's in that in that tier uh this is a thick thick tier it's got denver milwaukee phoenix miami assuming the damian lillard trade uh the memphis grizzlies the cleveland cavaliers and the Philadelphia 76ers, if they get quality return on James Harden, I basically put the Sixers in two different spots here. They're either yeah. in tier two or tier three, depending on what the Harden trade yields. That is very close to mine. Um, I I have Miami in their own tier three just by themselves on the idea that they'll either be a tier higher if they get Lillard and a tier mm-hmm. lower if they do not. I actually think, I want to talk about Miami briefly, their departures, if we just take this team as they sit right now, I think are they're underappreciated. Not, I agree. Like, I mean... Gabe Vincent and Max Truce are not world beaters, but they are players who, and they had rough regular seasons last year. It's a part of why the Heat ended up struggling like they did in the regular season. But they're capable, they they can fill these roles, and like you brought up with Denver, they didn't really replace them. And Kevin Love can fill more of a role in the regular season because he got there late during the season, and hopefully they can, you know, Tower Hero, well, he, but he got injured in the playoffs. Like he, he had some regular season stuff too. They have like Josh Richardson and a few other guys, but that it, it, there's a part of me that just lingers and goes, you saw, you thought the same thing two years ago, and then those guys were good, and then they ended up that ended up blowing through their over and everything like that. But I believe in Miami significantly more as a postseason team than a regular season team, even though Spo is one hell of a coach. So maybe I should just believe. <laughs> You know, I think I have some difficulties here, too, based off of if we kind of look at this, look at it from a salary perspective, right? So Jimmy's at 45. What's Dame at for per year next season? Do you have any idea? Guestimate it. I could do better than that. Um, 40, uh, 45.6. Okay, so Jimmy and, and, and Dame are 45, so that's 90. Um, and, and this is like what, what happens when you go top heavy is you're going to have – you're going to get thinner as it goes along, and I understand that. Bam's at 32. And that's a great top three, and that's an elite top three, and I love the fit of, of Dame specifically with Bam Adebayo. I think that's such a great combination. Uh, but Kyle Lowry and Tyler Hero will be gone in the trade. Like, we know that. That's their next two guys. Duncan Robinson's a maybe, but maybe he's around. And so now you're at, like, even even if, if they keep Duncan, now you're at the fifth highest paid guy is Caleb Martin if he is stays in the deal at 6.8. And then the drop for six best is Kevin Minimums. Love at 3.8. And this is a lot of what we're going to see with the new CBA, certainly. But it's also, I think a lot of this is, can Haywood Highsmith make the, the kind of jump that they've seen from other uh, undrafted players that they've seen have such success? Can Orlando Robinson cap- capitalize on a great summer league and do the same kind of thing? Um, can Jaime be an impact rookie right away, the way that Tyler Hero was for the Heat? I'll also say that there's a lot of this built in in the conversation and the discussion and how they're perceived of, well, they did it before. Like, look what they did with these undrafted guys so they can just do that again. I've started to refer to this as the Ujiri um, fallacy, mm-hmm. which is 
Toronto, it was like, look at their development plan. Look at all these guys that they put in there. Like they developed Pascal and they developed OG and they developed Fred Van Vliet and they develop. And then it's like, okay, but look in four years later and look who's it's, around. It's still those guys. <laughs> how's How's Malachi Flynn doing? How's Elena Banton doing? Like that they don't have. It's hard if you do not have premium assets to keep hitting even like doubles with pitches that are tough to hit. And so there is kind of this. I think diminishing returns aspect that winds up happening here where it does impact it. Plus, you know, their, their, their success in the regular season two years ago and that 2022 team was really good compared to this year. Like that was a much better team, but it was built on their defense and spoke can certainly pull enough tricks. But one thing I will also note that we've kind of started to see, there's two things that happened this season. I'm interested to see if they carry forward. One was that offenses mattered slightly more than defenses. Top 10 offenses went over their win rate at a higher rate than top 10 defenses, which is the first time we've seen that in 10 years. The second thing that kind of happened was that all of the tricks that defined really 2016, maybe 17 through 2022, which is, can you play zone and can you switch? Congratulations, you have a top five defense. Those things started to really fall off. Switch defenses were not nearly as effective last season as they have been because offenses have largely adjusted and they've gotten better and are performing better. So I wonder about a team that's primarily kind of concept is, well, we're going to have an elite defense and we're going to have Dame to boost up the offense with less defensive personnel and a little bit worse in terms of supporting offensive units. What does that look like on a unit basis? The overall talent is obviously superb, but what does it look like? So I have some questions, but then ultimately I, I put them here because this tier is entirely made up of teams that I'm like, if you told me, if you came back in time and said, hey, these teams win the 2024 NBA championship and you told me the Miami Heat did, I'd be like, all right, that tracks. They had Jimmy and they had Bam and they had Dame. One team that's in this tier that I want to I want to just mention, I think it gets lost in the shuffle now considering how rough their playoff exit was. The Cleveland Cavaliers finished mm. second in quitting the glass net rating last year, yep. plus 5.8. And there are reasons to believe that their playoff struggles are real and that they're and that they're it's going to be hard for them to to fix everything that ails them and, you know, the, how all this stuff is going to fit. They are a monstrous regular season team and should yes. continue to be so. And they're they're deep. They have more bites at the apple in terms of solving the fifth starter, fifth closer problem with Max Struess is to me the most interesting of those guys. I don't think he's the only one. Maybe Dean Wade will actually not suffer a debilitating injury and actually be able to shoot this year. And also just they have, you know, they have these salaries that aren't particularly burdensome for guys like Levert. Maybe they could do something there. And Mike Okoro is going to be a year older. He could, he could be a better fit there. And so for Cleveland, this is going to be, to me, a put up or shut up year for them because because after this season, Donovan Mitchell is going to be one year away from a player option. So his player option is 25-26, but that is around the time where all of these things kind of start to shake themselves out for better or for worse. I, I, you know, I, I hope the great players stay where they are if they're if they're in a good situation, but they should be, I think they're going to be a really good regular season team. If they were coached by what I would consider to be an average level or replacement level coach from playoff purposes, I think JB's done an amazing job in the regular season, but if they had an average or or replacement level playoff coach, I would bet this team to win the title because their numbers are absolutely ridiculous in the market. I can't because of that factor. I just can't get there. It's really important to note when I talk about this, and I, I, I beat the dead horse so much on Twitter last year about the rotations and not playing a Coro. 
it's important to note that it doesn't mean that I think that New York is a bad team because they are the best team in my third tier. I think that New York, I think New York could very easily be in the second tier. I just can't be like, oh, I can see them winning the championship. I can't get there. And a lot of that is reflective of they were fourth in offense and 19th in defense last year versus the Cavs and schedule adjusted over at Dunks and Threes were eighth in offense, first in defense. So we're talking about the best defense in the league with a top 10 offense. That is the, that is like, that's the resume of a championship contender. And uh, as you mentioned, you know, second best net rating schedule adjusted in the league last season. Um, they, they Donovan Mitchell's numbers do not reflect how good he is. Like the, the consideration of him is not as good as when you kind of dive into the kind of deeper level analysis. And he missed a big chunk of time in a year where he was trying to get used to a new team and Garland missed time. They had guys in and out of the lineup all year. When that starting group is together, it's really good. And their moves to add had Niang and Struess, even though Struess was an overpay, directly addressed the problem of we need that fifth guy in the corner to maintain spacing so you can't as aggressively attack our ball handlers. That changes dramatically. The reality is that JV got outcoached by Tom Thibodeau, and anybody in the betting markets will tell you that Tibbs is one of the worst coaches uh, in terms of performance against the market in the NBA playoffs. He is, he is universally terrible and has been since that first run with the Bulls. So it's tough for me when I'm like, this guy got out coached by a coach I regularly enjoy betting against. I think that the Tibbs is still really good and that the Knicks were a really good team last year, but it was more that Cleveland was capable of so much more and accomplished so little and the the dropout was so bad. There continues to be the conversations about Jared Allen. I, I do wonder how that kind of plays out because I don't think that they should move on. I don't think that Evan Mobley is ready for full-time five yet. I do think that they actually benefit from that size advantage. There's all these ways that this could go sideways and as you mentioned the Donovan Mitchell situation will continue to kind of percolate no matter what but if we're entering into the season like I put them here tentatively because it's like okay look the matchup was bad they got solved by New York would better teams probably have solved them too yeah maybe JB learns from that and he's a better coach next season first playoff run I'm willing to give him an opportunity to kind of go further improve and get them past especially when he has better roster options now after free agency so I put the Cavs in that tier too I'm happy you brought up the better roster options I I think part of the story of the Cavs in the playoffs is a they ran up against the team that had strengths in the areas like so Cleveland they took Cleveland's first punch and Cleveland didn't have a counter punch some of that goes on bigger staff some of that goes on just the nature of their roster like they have this weird combination of players and they don't really have other ways that they've done it but I agree with you that they could theoretically figure those out either just over the course of time or you know maybe eventually with a different coach I thought Bickerstaff like you did a good job in the regular season did you have the Lakers in this year I thought I heard you mention them because I do as well I did not Oh, okay. I have them here. Uh, I do not. I have them in tier three pretty solidly. Um, I do have, I'll mention the Memphis Grizzlies really quickly. Sure. Um, I, I think there's a good reason to buy in on this Grizzlies team. I think that I've been resistant to them because of their problems in half court. They started to really kind of recognize those problems. And that's one of the reasons they went out and got Luke Kennard. It was very clear that they were like, guys, we got to figure out how to score in these game by game situations. And the Lakers exit had as much to do with the injuries to Steven Adams and Brandon Clark. You talk about cluster injury. When your cluster injury results in Xavier Tillman having to start, you're in a real bind. And 
And then when Kennard gets hurt on top of that, then you don't have the variability in your offense. Right. And Tillman, quite honestly, played pretty well in that series. But that's like never the guy that I would have wanted in that series versus the Lakers. It was a bad matchup. Anthony Davis played great. Like all credit to them. Rui Hachimura was excellent. All credit to them. Memphis has a lot of opportunity, I think, to self-reflect and improve on the things that they need to now. I'm expecting a huge bump from Desmond Bain this year. I cannot buy any more Desmond Bain stock. Jaron showed me enough last year in growing his offense and being somebody you can give the ball to and excel with that I'm uh, interested in in buying in on them as well. Am I worried about where Jaws heads at? Of course. Of course I'm worried about where Jaws heads at. Um, At the same time, from an overall team perspective and like without knowing the timeline of when those issues with Jaw could pop up again, to me it's worth putting them in this tier. This is an elite defense with the capacity of athletes and talent to make real strides offensively. And if they put those things together, uh, this is going to be a juggernaut again. A strange element of the Grizzlies roster is that like now with Marcus Smart, they have a top four, four closers, however you want to define it, in Ja, Smart, Bain, and Sharon Jackson Jr. that not only do I believe in individually, but I believe in them together. Like, I think they yeah. can they can fit together. And one of the beautiful things about that is you could do a lot of a lot of fifths with that. And Memphis actually has more options for that fifth guy than most teams do, whether you're talking about, you know, going big with Adams, whose screening is very underappreciated for the Grizz. But also, as you mentioned, like Kennard, or you could go with, if you could go with Zaire Williams, if things work out, or Santi Aldama, and they like weirdly, they still have their full mid level, which they're not going to use probably because there isn't anyone left to use it on. Um, they also have a big trade exception of like eight million from the Dylan Brooks deal. I don't know who they would get with that either. But it's the the challenge with Memphis is well, okay, but who is it going to actually be like? If Zaire Williams had had a like hadn't had this season from hell, I would be even more confident on the Grizzlies. The other part of it is we know John Morant's going to miss the start of the season, and losing Tyus Jones. You know, made it so that they're, you know, Marcus Smart is a plenty good player. They have the talent to withstand this injury, but not injury, absence, not an injury, notably. Um, So I, I, I do believe in the Grizzlies. I had them at the top of my tier three and said could be higher. So I'm, I'm, I'm listening to your arguments. Also, Taylor Jenkins, a good regular, very good regular season coach. So yeah. Um, but I'll go briefly into the Lakers idea of it. And part of it is this concept of once they made their roster actually make sense, they were a pretty good team when they were remotely healthy. But the other element of it is that they just have a constituent amount of capable players now, which is so essential for any team, especially one whose stars aren't always the most reliable physically. I mean, that's just the point in LeBron's career that we're at, and that's been Anthony Davis' almost entire career. With Reeves and Vincent and Hachimura, and we'll see what Torian Prince can give them. Like, they, they have a lot of guys who aren't ever going to probably be the best player other than maybe in, like they get hot in a given game, but are capable filling out the rotation and I wouldn't be surprised if they have, they have one, of one of LeBron, LeBron and Davis healthy if they'll just run through mid-tier and below teams. Like I think they're actually better. I, I'm not saying bet they're over because we don't know what that is yet, but I think that they'll be able to kind of, that's the threshold. Like we used to talk about this with the Spurs, that if you can beat them, the 15th and worst teams consistently, you'll have a good record. Um, Mark out, by the way. It's 48 and a half for the Lakers. Oh, that's uh, high. Oh, mm-hmm. that's higher than I wanted it to be. Yeah, this is the problem. Ah, um, the LeBron the pricing. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the Lakers bump is is very evident. Um, 
I'm not low on the Lakers. So I have them very solidly in tier three. And if you told me they won the championship, would I be shocked? And it's like, oh, look, they do have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And that's been a formula for a 51 team, except for last year. Um, I, I think... I, I am a little confused by the conversation about them. And again, like this matters for me in terms of reacting to the market. Mm-hmm. And so the idea has been like they've gotten A's across the board from everyone. What a fantastic offseason. And I kind of tilted my head a little bit at it where it's not that I think that they didn't have a good offseason. They certainly did uh, like retained Austin Reeves on an affordable contract. Great. Like everyone knew that was going to happen. But I understand if there was like there was technically some question of like, who is he going to be back um, retained? You know, Rui. Sure. I, I love the Rui edition. I thought that was the better trade for the two of them. Gabe Vincent. I'm a big guy. I'm a big believer in him. I thought he was one of the best free agents on the market because his market sucked but it's also just like he was really good and he if he was the clear-cut starter then i would probably if you took d'angelo russell and you converted him into a forward or a center or two centers or a center and a forward or a center and a guard or any other combination that is not d'angelo russell i'd probably feel a little bit better about this because i think gabe vincent is, is would be a perfectly good starter next to lebron james like it fits absolutely the mold of the kind of guy that you would want to have next to LeBron and he works well with AD too. Like he'll probably help in those situations to have those two next to each other, but they kept D'Angelo Russell because they had to. And I just don't simply know if he's a positive addition overall. I don't know if he is a overall net positive in a regular season or playoff context. I don't know whether he's going to have a net positive or negative net rating next year with this team. And that variability I think is very tough. Like if he, if he is handcuffed to LeBron and Austin Reeves, then yeah, he's probably got a positive net rating because those guys are good and they'll bring you up. Will they be better without him? I think so. I think probably everybody will probably have a slightly better offensive ratings and overall net ratings when Russell's not on the floor just because of the way that D'Angelo plays. And um, there are things I think D'Angelo brings to the table that are good. It's just like the way that they play. I don't necessarily love the idea of like, okay, we have this defense first, versatile, tough roster. Oh, also we have D'Angelo Russell. And I'm kind of like, I don't know about that. Like that, that feels a little Jordan Clarkson with the jazz ish. And the problem with that is that Jordan Clarkson was coming off the bench and not starting. And this is, wasn't your big starting third highest salary guy. Um, Torian Prince, love him. Lo- great player. Like, or not great player. A real, great locker room dude. Uh, veteran, knows how to play, has battled to stay in this league. Absolutely fits what they want to do. He is a slight upgrade over the other guys that they moved on from. Like, I think that that's an upgrade. Is Torian Prince like a needle mover for me? Not necessarily. Like, I've upgraded the Lakers from their, their like, trying to figure out a rating on them because I only have, a, I, the way that my system is constructed, I only can really do full season. So I have to take, like, what their full season number was and then, like, completely extrapolate the end of the season run in the playoffs. I will also say that the post all-star stuff, I have a little bit of a question about of just March is a month that I do not trust in the NBA. The teams that are awesome in that run. I'm like, ah, you're facing a bunch of teams that are either resting, exhausted, injured, or tanking. And so their dominance in that stretch. And you go like, well, they carry that into the playoffs. Sure. Absolutely. The playoff run was also pretty contextual where they faced a Memphis team that had the two injuries that I mentioned and was absolutely falling apart internally. And then they faced a Warriors team coming off of a seven game series versus is the Kings and teams on after seven game series, the records are incredibly terrible. And the Warriors were just like, they honestly at that point were not very good. And it's the Lakers did that to them and they deserve credit for being the first team to beat the Warriors in the Western Conference playoffs. I'm just like not quite as 
high on them to put them tier two. I'm like, yeah, they could get there. They have more moves to make. If they find somebody to take Russell, this could get really interesting. But at every possibility of their improvement has to be couched with LeBron and how many games he will have to miss and Anthony Davis and how many games he will have to miss. And we have longstanding histories of both of those guys to suggest we should probably be a little bit more conservative in their estimation of what those are going to be. We absolutely should be. Um, the team that we haven't discussed so far that I think is probably the juiciest would probably be the Phoenix Suns. I've had trouble. I, I actually, I would say maybe I've had less trouble than some tracking them. Where What's your read right now on Phoenix? I think a lot of it is our lasting impression from them is what they did is, is how they looked in the that second round, how helpless they looked versus the Nuggets. And I do think that a lot of this was how much of a matchup advantage that was internally. Denver was anxious to play Phoenix, which I thought was interesting given how they exited two years ago without Jamal Murray. They felt very confident in that matchup. And then you have the Chris Paul injury uh, and you have how bad the depth kind of revealed itself. I thought Monty got really outcoached. I think Frank Vogel is an upgrade. I just think he is. I think that, that's an upgrade. Kind of like the Lakers where everyone raved about what the Suns did and just like had such a like, look at all these players that the Suns added. And I'm kind of like, I, I don't know, guys. I don't know that we should make a big deal out of Kate's, uh, KWS Diop and, and Drew Eubanks. I like those guys. I think that well, they can he, be here, Here's the challenge. I, I really like what they did relative to the limitations they had, but that is only that only matters so far so much you know it's like okay you did well on minimums yeah but your fifth most expensive player is making his minimum that is a fundamentally different thing and along those lines the other big challenge for me with the suns and and it's funny you brought up the nuggets and everything else is that my operating theory of nba basketball in the playoffs for a long time has been okay well you need to be a lead on one end of the floor and then you need to be at least good to very good ideally but that's too much to ask on the other end of the floor and we've seen you you've talked about some of the interplay of whether that's high-end offense or high-end defense with winning but my big concern i have so my concerns with the suns are twofold one i think their offense is going to be very good but is it going to be like top two good or is it going to be like top 10 top five good that's one question but the bigger one is i don't trust their defense like they they can't i don't think they can get to lineups that take enough away from other teams and as much as you know like maybe frank vogel is going to help their defensive identity like it's it's a lot to ask of this team to be like be able to pull it to top 10 other than with shooting luck. Yeah, I think I'm a little bit more bullish here. And the reason is when KD wants to and KD usually wants to like KD has been a pretty underrated defender the last couple of seasons. Um, he can do pretty good work, especially in the regular season. He gives good effort. He knows how to defend. Um, obviously, the length is a, is a thing and he's stronger now because he's older. And so KD's gotten pretty good. Devin was legitimately good last year. Not like great, but the level of definitely not a liability. And I, I kind of put that in like the, he's like a a little bit in the Steph tier of, you know, what effort goes a long way and you can make up for things with quick hands. And then you add in like his ad, his added length and athleticism and you have a pretty good defender. Not great. Just totally fine. Um, I think Aiden has a lot of potential here and we'll just see kind of what happens. I'm still that's like a big question mark for me just because Aiden doesn't want to be there. He didn't want to be there um, two years ago. Didn't want to be there last year. Was unhappy the entire time. Feuded with teammates. Like, pretty miserable. It's hard for a guy to be good when he's unhappy. Maybe Frank Vogel fixes all that. Like, Mikhail Bridges, who clearly had issues with him. We saw some of the fights on the sideline with him. He 
he's gone and Monty Williams is gone, that might fix it. Like there's a chance that this turns around and Aiden is able to put it together because I think that when we look two years ago at the finals run, Aiden really was good defensively and there's a lot that he can provide. Their versatility is a problem. I think that I really do criticize their their roster construction from moving away from the versatility of 21 because they had a real ability in 21 to be able to throw a bunch of different looks at you, whether it was Dario Saric at the five or playing bigger ball with you know Jay Crowder at the four. They had a lot of versatility and they kind of gotten away from that. Yeah. And, and now and they yeah, I mean, it's and it's not only like it, the versatility, but it's also like a lot of the better players they have on the bench, Yuta Watanabe and Bates Diop are the notable exceptions here. They a lot of them, they don't change the way you play. Like I, I like Damian Lee. I like Eric Gordon. They don't really change the way you play on offense or defense. They're just good players, which is, I mean, that's great for the minimum. If you can get a capable basketball player for the minimum, you you win. Like, that's a, a great thing. But this idea of, yeah, them being like amorphous and being able to try all these different things, like that's just not the group not they have. They and and so yeah. that, and that means, like the other big part of this to me is I love Kevin Durant as a help defender, but they don't have anybody to be the primary defender on those, you know, those wing guys. Now, there aren't as many teams teams that are wing centric there aren't as many teams that are wing dominated as there used to be there you know the the west has a couple of them including the clippers who we'll see what in the world they end up looking like and to an extent the the lakers depending on how you define lebron james here but and i mean and then whoever makes it out of the east should they get there is probably going to have some good players that the suns would have trouble handling but the other kind of big question that i've had is like i agree with you on ayton like the idea that a better version of ayton could be a good fit for the suns but a current current version or worst version of Aiton is a real problem for them is I don't know how a reallocation trade happens because it seems pretty clear that DeAndre Ayton was very available, at least in some form. And maybe maybe it wasn't as much like the last three months after the Beal thing and everything else. But I don't like, you know, the the example could be like, well, the, what you think about what the Lakers did with Russell Westbrook. Well, the similarity is is that like Russell Westbrook was a more flawed player then than Ayton is now, but Westbrook yeah. was an expiring contract and the circumstances were favorable to make that happen. I, 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 it's, I'm not saying it's impossible. I do think that it's possible. But if the Suns need to make that reallocation deal, A, if you're trying to get a wing out of it, good luck. Like, they're very hard to get, especially when you have basically no first-round things other than a few little swap rights still left. And B, they, you know, they they don't really have the stopgap center stuff. Like, oh, they're going to trade DeAndre Ayton for smaller players and, what, get a a buyout guy? Get, you know, like, they don't even have Jack Landell anymore. They, They probably aren't going to start the season with Bismack Biombo. Like they don't, they don't really have those. Like Bull Bull isn't that guy. He's a different guy, and I, I, it's hard for me to figure them out. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's Drew Eubanks at six nine, right? And so. Um, I agree. I think that one of the things, though, is is with them in the market, this is based off of conversations I've had, is he was the chip, right? It, it, one of the reasons that trade I don't think ever happened was they needed to move him because of his unhappiness and the awkwardness and everything else. But they were only going to move him in a star move. And the Nets ultimately didn't have any, any interest in him. They were like, no, we want McHale. Like, you're not getting this deal done without McHale. And so what you wind up with is – you have this asset that you have to get great return on that everyone knows is a stressed asset. And that combination. Well, and, and then the Wizards didn't want him either. Right. And then, and, and then you've got, you know, also you've got, I think Dallas, Dallas has just been difficult to try and um, convince to 
pull off a move for center. They have been very bearish in their approach to trades for centers, which is why the Capella deal hasn't happened yet. It's why like they want a center, but they don't want to pay much for him is kind of the, the way. And so the limited suitors are kind of difficult there. And the centers like, you know, the, the Mavs have centers to send back, which makes them an ideal trade target. Um, but again, again, that deal done, I think was difficult. You, we kind of mentioned this just um, I, I try not to in this overall strength exercise get into the but what happens if they run up against why in the playoffs? Because like, yes, look, you know, if they run up against Denver again, they don't have anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what are you going to put? It's is, is Booker going to going to have to shadow him? Jamal Murray the entire time? Probably not. Can you put Bradley Beal on him? I would not want to. OK, so it's probably Josh Okogie again. How that work out last time? Right. But if Denver's not there because of X, Y or Z reasons, if he's if they're just if they're there, but not in their bracket and somebody else knocks them off when they've got a favorable matchup, sure. then you don't have to worry about it. And so the overall team strength is, look, they still have to me, honestly, Beal is. It's not negative. I'm not like shouting to the rooftops about how amazing this de- this move is and how great they're going to be. But Devin and KD is a really awesome combo. It was awesome last year. It will be awesome this year. They were 12 and one in the regular season or 12 and one in their first 13 games together. They were awesome to start with when they, those guys play together. Now, Chris was part of that and he's gone. But Beal is probably a, a, an upgrade over Chris just because of age in terms of overall player strength. And then they have enough and Vogel is probably enough to put them in this conversation where it's like if everything clicked into place, then, yeah, I think this is probably a title team. One team we haven't discussed yet, who is actually maybe more firmly in my tier three than they might be for some, is the Sacramento Kings. And the way I want to describe it is this. I I was, of course, lower on them throughout last season, and I'm thrilled with how well things went. And they, I I believe that what they did last year is legitimate. I think that they were the number one offense. They were eighth in net rating at plus 2.4. I think, you know, they were extremely healthy, and you can't project that year to year. Though, I mean, Sabonis was injured and played through it for a significant portion of last year here's the thing though i went back and looked at this because i i had a theory and it ended up being right plus 2.4 net rating very good good enough for eighth last year that same cleaning the glass net rating would have been seventh in the Western Conference in 21-22. And yeah. so even if there is an argument, I, I think there's an argument that the Kings will be a similar quality team. And even if you if you say they'll be less healthy, but maybe that they'll get some step-ups from some of these young guys, including Keegan Murray, who I really like, and some of these other, and, you know, like Fox, and just getting used to what it, all the stuff that Mike Brown was doing, and, you know, getting players like Vizhenkov, who makes sense with what they want to do. The problem is that generally the West will be stronger than it was. And so I have them, the way my tier three is run, is it's teams that I expect to be in the top six, but not in a conference final. And again, that's not trying to factor in, oh, they'll be the two seed, and they'll be the three seed, and they'll play this two seed, and they'll have a problem with it. It's just, there are certain teams, and I always think back to the Blazers as being an example of this, and yes, they did technically make a conference finals when the, when three, the three best teams in the conference were on the other side of the bracket. But that kind of a team where they'll win they'll win a bunch of games and I don't know what they'll do in the playoffs and like I think that some people will see that as a dig on the Kings I don't see it that way at all like to me to, for, if they can be top six again this year that'd be an accomplishment yeah um I, I think trying to figure out regression I think is a tough one just to try and factor a lot of this into it for me this is a lot simpler um and here's a limited sample number that I think is at least interesting as a, as a talking point it's a very small sample 13 teams 
top five offenses who were in the 40th uh, percentile or lower in injury rate, man games lost year mm. over year. in the last 10 seasons, uh, have gone nine and four to the under on their win total the following season. Interesting. So what we see here is if you were an extremely healthy team, which the Kings were, they were absurdly healthy last year. And the argument would be, I've heard Kings fans say, well, Sabonis was playing with his hand injury or the guys were playing through various things. I'm just, that's fair to a degree. Having a guy playing is better than him not playing. It just is. Um, they were, they were statistically one of the healthiest teams that we've seen. Also recently. other teams have guys to play hurt too. Like yeah. it's, it, it was anomalous for them, right. but it is still. So if you had an elite offense and you missed almost no games or at least pretty healthy amount of no games, you tend to see a little bit of regression. And this factors the same way over just injuries uh, teams in the 40th percentile or lower in injury rate. The following season are 44 and 34 um, to the under the following season. So we do see a little bit of a, of a move backwards for them. And that's a market indicated thing. So it's not always about team strength and whether they got worse. Like you could be uh, better than you were the previous season and still not hit your over on the win total. That's entirely possible. But what I do think is kind of evident here for me is just um, they did miss a window for they tried. I know that they tried from talking to people to aggressively pursue upgrades. They went after OG and OB. They went after uh, Mikhail Bridges. They went and to the degree that you ever could have those conversations. Um, they went after all of these guys to try and get a substantial upgrade on the wing. And all of those conversations fell short. They couldn't get any of them done. And so they just re-signed Harrison Barnes. And that's fine. And it's not that Barnes is bad last year. It was that they missed a window to be like, we're going to get a lot better. They have a lot of guys, I will say this, that can, that can make jumps because... So many of their guys are still young, and I'm not even talking about like the stars who are getting to be in their their middle primes here with Fox and Sabonis. But you got Keegan Murray, who had a fantastic rookie season. He could be better next year. Maybe there's a sophomore slump, but maybe there's not. Maybe he's even better. Um, you have the like Vizenkov, I think, is like a really interesting like thing to throw in there and just be like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what this looks like. Um, Davion Mitchell, another one. Chris mm-hmm. Duarte, who is really good. I talked to Tony East, who covers the Pacers really well, and was asking about, I was like, what the hell happened with Duarte? And he was basically like, he can't play fast. And their entire team identity is fast. Now, the Kings are not a slow team by any means, but they're not Indiana fast either. Well, with and, and the point that Caitlin Cooper made, which is so good, is that the person, the single NBA player that Chris Duarte has had the best individual chemistry with in his career is Demar- it's a bonus. It's a bonus, right? And so you have you have these internal measures that can kind of improve, but just from a trying to recapture the magic of last season, that's a lot of this too. Is it was like it was so magical. Not like not only did they make the playoffs, they won the division. Like all of these, like it was such a dream season. They knocked like they they almost knocked off the Warriors. They were in Game Seven versus Golden State. Like they were right there. Um, and that's such a it was a, an amazing season and everyone loved watching it and they were really that was really great. What happens next? Well, and, and, and there's there's the parallel with the Hawks from a couple of years ago of how do you handle disappointment? Because if the the and yes, they didn't make the conference finals like that Hawks team did, which is still so weird in hindsight. But the idea that they had this wonderful season, this is a young team. Even, let's say they end up close to expectations, but below individually, collectively. What does that mean? Does that are the, are they just like, OK, we had a good season like we'll work forward or or do the guys like spin out a little bit just because they're like oh we thought we were going to be this good forever we thought things were going to go well and it's a very hard thing emotionally for players and a front office to take if that ends up happening and now just from a just to mention is from a market perspective their win total is 43 and a half 
like it's extremely low. So like the market is expecting, I think, too much regression here to the point where I'm probably going to have a small play on the over. But uh, if we talk about just the overall team, they've got to be, I think, in, in tier three here. My tier three is pretty it's pretty fat here. Um, I've got Sacramento. It's this is a shocker to me. I have Sacramento and Golden State in the same tier. Mm. Sacramento, Golden State, New Orleans, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Hawks, the Wolves, the Mavericks, the Sixers, if they get bad return on the James Harden deal, uh, and the New York Knicks. And all of these teams to me are teams that I can see if if they are just a little better in some unknown area, if there's one factor that we don't anticipate, that we can't anticipate, if the known, if the unknown unknowns work in their favor, then these teams can very easily be tier two and be championship contenders. And that includes the Sacramento Kings and the New York Knicks. Like, I think those teams can be in that conversation if they get the right set of circumstances and the right types of evolution and the right types of developments. If things go right for them, if the Kings are just healthy again, they can absolutely be in in an, a softer side of a bracket and be in a position to make a run. Um, the Knicks, I think, are, are a really interesting team. I'd love to get your thoughts on them as far as what to expect from them this season, because I'm just just trying to, to grapple with I've really started to wait towards offensive teams so the Knicks have to be there they were the second best offense uh, in the second half of the season I'm trying to understand or in, at least post all-star I'm trying to understand how to square that with a Tom Thibodeau team that was this good offensively how good is Jalen Brunson um, I'm curious to know where you had New York I have them in this tier as well and but I wasn't as I'm not as like excited about the possibility of moving them up I think it's possible I'm not gonna foreclose on that possibility but but one thing that I I've had trouble squaring with them too. You, you brought up a couple of them. Is that the Knicks last year were second in offense despite being 20th in effective field goal percentage, which is the most important of the four factors. And like, that's just super duper weird. And so part of that, I think, is really real. So one is their their offensive rebounding. Yeah, <laughs> if you're going to tell me the Knicks are going to offensive rebound well with their personnel, like, I'll tell you, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's not a problem at all. They've been top six, three of the last four years. Um, and turning the ball over relatively low amount, that wouldn't surprise me either. I think that the, you know, the addition of Jalen Brunson and everything else like that, I, I think that's very real. And then getting to the line, reasonable. And and depending on how, who gets time and how they develop everything, I think that's fine. And, and I think that offensively, like, so number two might be that that's rare fighter. Like, I think that's probably a little bit too realistic, but I think they're a top 10 offense. Like, I, I think that they're top 10. It wouldn't stun me if they were more in the like fourth through eighth range. Maybe that's too much anchoring based on this year considering how anomalous it was. But the other thing about the Knicks as an offense is that they have these flaws, but they're flaws that are hard for other teams to capitalize on in the regular season, in part because of their personnel and in part because teams don't do specific scouts. Like, that's just not generally the way that it works. So if I had to guess, you know, I think that their offense will work reasonably well, game to game. And even if the bottom of the league is stronger this year, which I believe that it will be compared to compared to other years, they'll still have that. And then once the bottom falls out, because some of these teams will stop trying, then I think they'll really start running roughshod through some of these teams. And like, they're well constructed for that. The other thing that I really like about the Knicks, um, and this came into play for them i think of it more in the middle the kind of the middle third of the year though it came in later too is they might not have a lot of guys that i love in the closing five but they have a they have rotation quality basically at you know they're like 10 deep and losing top end and a couple other guys is a little bit awkward there but you know with randall brunson barrett robinson hart divincenzo hartenstein quickly grimes and then hopefully
hopefully you get some Deuce McBride or Jericho Sims working in there. Like that's a lot of quality players and they have an identity. They've done well in that second unit. And so like, I think of them as that like consistently good, but not particularly dangerous team, which I mean, compared to where they were a couple of years ago, like it's not a bad place to be. I agree. I think that they're – I'm really curious about the top end move just because so many of the lineup combinations that worked. Like the, the dirty secret last year was kind of that the starters were not great and they yes. killed the bench. And I'm very curious to see because they're banking that that's not going to happen this year, that they're going to get enough evolution from what they saw in the playoffs to carry forward. What are we getting from Julius Randle this year? Because every other year it seems like we're getting something uh, the exact opposite that we saw the previous season. You know, what are we going to get from Julius this year? I think is a really fascinating, bizarre question. Um, I think I'm curious about what the bench looks like with quickly without Toppin, but with Hartenstein, that's like an interesting kind of like combination to be like, maybe they'll just be good. Quentin Grimes was really good in the playoffs. Josh Hart's numbers are terrific. Like they're just phenomenal in the Josh Hart minutes in the regular season um, in limited time. So there's all these kind of ways for them to get there. The the potential is there, but they're going to need a lot. It, it, they need a season where everything goes right. I don't think everything went right last season. I think they had a lot no. of things that didn't go right last season and they still got to where they were. Still made the second round, uh, so I'm curious to see what happens if they get an, a, a tail outcome in the positive sense for both injury luck and development. RJ Barrett's another one, like I have questions about. So there's two guys and they're starting unit. I'm like, what are we getting here? But at the same time, uh, there's enough good there, I think, to to have some belief that they're going to be there. Um, two of the teams in this tier, I think that I I have higher than probably most people have are atlanta and minnesota mm-hmm. some some of this is built off of atlanta has at least the capacity the potential to to be able to pull off a siakam trade if uh toronto ever gives up the ghost and that that combo is extremely exciting to me the idea of trey you, young you mean trey and siakam uh trey young Dejounte murray and siakam as a trio mm-hmm. i love i love that combo i just think that there's a lot Dejounte's numbers were poor last year uh, especially without trey on the court it didn't match eye tests, so I'm trying to understand why and trying to go back and do some more research on that. But a lot of this is very simply, I cannot overstress the coaching upgrade here in that Quinn Snyder is so good in the regular season and is so good at maximizing talent and is so good at managing a roster in such a way that you do get developmental guys that get opportunities to show what they can do. And he identifies that and gives them the chance to succeed while also not letting that undermine or poison the best units that he will put out there. I think Trace probably has a, a, a bounce back season. And from if you look at his individual numbers, they don't make a lot of sense from a, a scoring perspective. All of these kind of combos, I think Atlanta's got a real capacity to get there. Similar kind of deal with Minnesota. They lost some guys, and that that's not great. I love what they added, though. And I do think that... A full year together, now that they're kind of past the shock of the Rudy Gobert trade and past the annoyance that they carried early in the season, like people forget they had they won 42 games, made the play in, had a lead on the Lakers for the final play for that final uh, for the first play in spot for the seventh seed in the easier side of the bracket. They had all of that and Cat missed almost the entire season. And no matter what you think about Carl Anthony Towns, from just a production standpoint, he helps immensely. And from a salary standpoint, when you're missing that much money on the court you're going to be worse and yet they managed by the end of the year they had a real identity as tough veteran professional group 
and I think that they can carry that this year forward. I have a lot of belief in Chris Finch. I think Atlanta and Minnesota are probably uh, a little bit slept on in terms of what their what their high end outcomes can be. I agree with you wholeheartedly on Minnesota, and you the argument on Quinn Snyder is something I hadn't fully considered, and him getting a full season there, and especially getting an off season and a preseason will be massively important. I'm, that tempts me, and I mean the other part of this to consider is that before the most recent season, the Hawks were ridiculous whenever Trey Young was on the floor offensively every single year. And they were very good. They just weren't, you know, ridiculous last year. And if you expect some of that other kind of flurry stuff to to get better than non-Trey minutes, maybe that can improve um, in the future. But yeah, I agree with you on Minnesota. I think that they're, not only do they have a clear starting and closing five, but they have underappreciated depth. And they, like, they got incredible work out of Kyle Anderson, of Kyle last, Anderson year. last year. But they're not going to necessarily, necessarily need, that. need that. And then they have, and all, they these have other, all these other, you know, you know guards, guards they're and they're perfect. And, and I think it's going to work. Um, Clippers kind of obvious here. Like, yeah, yeah they could, they could definitely be there. We, I'm not going to put them in tier two just because last year I had such faith in their depth and it all failed miserably. Um, a lot of capacity for a bounce back, but also a lot of capacity for another disappointing, like, why did you just run this back? What did you think was going to happen? Kind of moment. The hardened thing, I don't necessarily, that does not move me a lot. Like, yeah, it's great. Another star. Okay, cool. But we've seen kind of the inconsistency there. Well, um, wait, one more thing on the Clippers. I, I think that it, it's so weird to compare the two for, for other reasons, but there's this idea that I brought up years ago with Clay. So he missed, you know, had those two sequential injuries. And the idea that you can't predict that a player will be the guy multiple years later that they were when they got, when they were out, not only due to the, the injuries, but due to the recovery. So like Kawhi Leonard in the 21 playoffs before he got hurt was an absolute monster. Like, you know, in incredible player and was like you know had that had that awesome series and then gets hurt in the jazz and then gets hurt in the jazz series it will be three years from when that occurred to when he plays in the playoffs again if he is available to play in the playoffs again i love Kawhi. i think that he you know like the guy who he was when he when he left us was the you know like one of the few like earthquake you know game changing guys in the league I love Kawhi Leonard. I can't be- I can't say for certain that that guy is the guy who comes back because we just don't know. What uh, what tier do you have Golden State in? I actually have them tier two. Um, yeah. I feel not great about that. I have them at the bottom of that group. I have the Clippers in tier two, and I think I might move both of them down to tier three. I, I It kind of feels like, why am I... like? Because it's a playoff thing versus a regular season thing, and it's like, I think I'm over-indexing to a healthy playoff run. So I'm going to move them down to tier three. I don't know what to do with them, you know, because it's like, do I think that that Clay will be? You're so implement, you're so impacted by the playoff run. But even when you, if you remove the playoff run, you're left with the road record last season that was just so horrific, and they're that impacted. Like eventually, you are what the record, and especially what the point differential says you are, which is they were a top ten team, but they weren't any better than that. They were at the I, end of the top ten. They they were, uh, um, and and I. Think- I think that the losing some of the guys they lost like that that loss of variance i think is generally actually more of a negative than some people think but one small move that i think could make a big difference for them is charge like just having another capable front court player who can make good decisions and i i still am 
I will be perpetually perplexed by how the Suns with Sarge at center defended really well like two and a half years ago. Yeah. It was one of the weirdest things in the NBA for me. But he's a good basketball player and so and a guy that Steve Kerr will trust enough to play. And that so having him but there you know, this is still a team that can't handle injuries to like any of their good players. And you can say, Oh well, now they have Chris Paul step no. Chris Paul is not Stephen Curry and he hasn't been for a long time now. Right. But they have Gary Payton who not only will be available on the team for more of the year, but also will presumably be healthier than he was last year. This is the put up or shut up year for both Kaminga and Moody. Um, So I I think my theory of the Warriors is that their best is going to be as good as almost anyone. Like they, I, I think they're still going to have their fastball. It's just that they're, you would, I don't don't remember how into baseball you, you are, but it's kind of feels to me like what I remember late career, Nolan Ryan being like, where like he would have these moments where like, I think he threw a no hitter in his forties where it's like, Oh crap. Like he can put it together, but it just wasn't every game. And I think that's going to be largely the story for them. Unless some of those put up or shut up guys like Kamiga and Moody, all of a sudden they're not, not only clear cut reserves, they're like heir apparent starters. If that happens, then they're like tier two, potentially tier one. I think one of the issue reasons I, I was almost almost tempted to put them in tier four mm. Um, mm. was you're right, but you're only right about their best being the best when all the starters are on the floor. Exactly. And one of the problems is that the way that they used to be was the starters were untouchable. And that honestly infused the rest of the team with the ability to play not as well, but still incredible for units that didn't have all five starters on the court. And now it's like there's two universes. There's a team when Steph Curry's on the floor. And there is a below average sub 500 lottery team when he's not on the court and they don't have. And the the idea is that Chris is going to probably be able to raise that more than Jordan Poole was able to. And maybe minutes with Chris and Draymond absolutely click because of the the combined basketball IQ and toughness of those two guys. But when you factor in injuries, I'm still really shaken by what Clay looked like to end last year. Now, that was exhaustion, I think, in large part. But yeah, there's just to me, I'm unless they get a Kaminga or in particular a Moody pop. Um, yeah. I have a lot of I, I just get a lot of concerns about how fragile this team is and how it could be because last year that was a big problem was like they're all the, the number that Zach Lowe repeatedly mentioned and Zach's obviously the you know the best writer in the biz but he kept mentioning and I, I had talked about it too the net rating when the starters were on the floor which was best in the league. And then I looked up what their record was in those games, and it was thirteen and fourteen, mm-hmm. and that stunned me. Where I was like, "Wait, wait, wait. so you have the you, you you are untouchable, and you can't get over five hundred? That's how bad the non-starter minutes are." And that was when I was like, "Okay, there's there are real problems here." So I'm going to be really interested to see uh, what it looks like. Speaking of teams where I'm interested to see what it looks like, the New Orleans Pelicans. I had them in this in oh, my boy. tier three as well, and there are so many possibilities for them, and. New New Orleans, I, it's it's been this way for a couple of years now where it's just like, what I didn't want was the status quo, but I still am excited to see what this team was because it's just like, part of it for me is just my, I'm just done with Valanciunas on this team. Like, I just, I don't particularly like that, like that fit, like that, like just how, how he kind of meshes with everything else. But they have so much talent and New Orleans, because of their draft assets and because of kind of the way that their salaries are structured, if 
This is a team sort of like the Raptors were a couple of years ago, except that they have Zion, where I think that all of their players could be better. Like if you reshuffled it and added a couple of different things, I think that this roster could sing even more than it does. But they haven't really they've been good enough that they haven't wanted to shake things up. And they've been kind of waiting to see how everything worked out. But like this is a phenomenally talented group. They are. They were number one in the West before things went haywire. Um, I really wish that they had pulled the trigger and been able to figure out a way to get the the two pick. I really wish that they had thrown in um, thrown in Ingram and various assets to get the, the two. There are a few negotiations that I would like to know how they went. Like each offer and counteroffer more than the Pelicans and the and the second and third picks. Like yeah. just just could they have gotten it done with Ingram? If they could could have gotten it done with Ingram, I mean I love Scoot Henderson. Like I think yeah. people know that by now. Like that would have been awesome. it might it would have been incredible. Um, and maybe it wouldn't have been as good in like the near term, but it would have been so much better about their for their upside long term. Um, you know, if, if they get everybody healthy back, that bench unit was so good. Um and they, and again, another team that has just like a billion quality NBA rotation players. Yeah. Uh you know, Trey Murphy I think is is underrated in terms of what he's what he looks like as far as an impact guy. Um mm-hmm. that you know, Jose Alvarado, those bench units with him and Larry Nance alongside Zion were killer. Uh if you could if I if you were just able I mean, how different is this if you're just able to be like Zion Williamson plays sixty six games in the two thousand twenty three, twenty four season? Then you're just like, Okay, my next question would be like, Okay, how many does um Jose Alvarado play? How many does like I need to know the rest. Like I do. I can't just do it. Um And and what is what is Herb Jones percentage from three? Yeah, from three. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that have to go, but boy, there was they they were that that December moment was so special and you thought that they were really like, wow, this team could do some things. And then it just fell apart. Uh and I guess we'll kind of see. By the my way, chair- is there is so, there a single number like if you could get a get a note from the future, a single number that would ch- change the way you bet on over-unders more than Stephen Curry's games played? Oh yeah. Oh. Like that, I think that's the single biggest one we, in the entire league if you could pick a our, single thing. Our, our favorite bet every year is Steph uh, to lead the league in three pointers and the in pointers per game. If you miss the qualifying number, they take your total and divide it by the qualifying number. And he just squeaked ahead this year with the number <laughs> of games. We were very concerned, but that one cashed for us. Uh, but yeah, there's like that one and the Warriors overrun. Like, there's so many markets that are impacted by just if you told me like Steph plays 70 versus Steph plays 40. Um, the, the difference is, is absolutely massive. My tier four. And these are teams that I uh, mostly I I wish I could put in a higher tier, but I can't. But they are definably like I think these are going to be I would define this tier as troublemakers. Um, OKC. Yes. The Utah Jazz, the Indiana Pacers, who I am incredibly bullish on, uh, was soft bullish on them last year. Am raging bullish on them now. The Orlando Magic. And it's kind of a throw in here because I don't think they belong belong lower. The Chicago Bulls. They The Bulls are not one that I'm like, they could be real troublemakers. They're just like, no, they're better than the teams in my in uh, my tier five. But I can't uh, put them any higher. So they go here. They're honestly kind of more in their own tier by themselves. But OKC, I'm really fascinated in Utah because when I look at the roster, I simultaneously am like, this team could be really good again. And then I also go, this team's really young. And those two combos, I think, are are with Will Hardy as coach, who I'm very high on. Try to figure out an an accurate ceiling floor for Utah, I think, is a fascinating exercise. I am intrigued by Utah's future. However, something that really lingers with me, I actually pulled the stats on this because I wanted to. um, After the All-Star break, 
25th in offensive rating, negative 3.8 net rating, 8 and 24. Or sorry, 8 and 14. Um, the, the challenge is the, I, I like to use the term, I think I might have even originally gotten this from you, of organization. And that losing Mike Conley just took that organization away from their offense. And it also took away, you know, one of their best creators and all that. And what they've done since then, they've added a lot of good players, but they've never really brought in another organizer. And so my instinct on what happens with the Jazz is like the hole is weaker than the sum of their parts for exactly one more year. They figure that out. They get that guy and they're good, like really good. I can see it. I take a lot of the stuff that we have here with their post their late season performance i take it with a pretty big grain of salt based off of like they were a team that definitively like pivoted to be like we don't want this they pivoted Um, to video in a sense yeah like the mavericks um the mavericks fans are very much in the in the idea of like defending their team's uh cowardly ass decision making with trying to say like but look at what the jazz and the blazers did and i'm like i'm not any happier with the jazz and the blazers they just weren't as close as you were um like utah i think could have made the playoffs they could have pushed for that and they just decided like no this is not worth it to us and they basically did an about face um the numbers of the marketing were still really good and i kind of a lot of this is built off of yes. you know how good do you think Lori marketing is and one of the things that I've learned with Jokic, and I'm not suggesting that he's Jokic, but I am saying when a lot of the numbers tell you a guy is extremely impactful, you should probably believe them. Like you should probably consider that there that there's something there. Uh, and marketing was 96 percentile in EPM last year. So you kind of have just like, look, they have one guy who is so good that it's going to raise that that floor quite a bit for them. Um, I tweeted this the other day. I couldn't believe. Have you seen uh, Colin Sexton splits with and without marketing? Uh, no, just his shooting splits. No. Uh, so last season, Colin Sexton, he played 48 games. OK, he averaged 14 points, two boards, three assists. Sure. 51% from the field, 39% from three, 82% from the from the line. So 51, 39, 82. Limited attempts for sure on a high function offense. I get it. And it's not that I'm, I'm expecting a huge massive explosion for, for Sexton. Um, but I, I was just kind of like, that's really interesting to me that you do have this evolution here of what this could look like that they kind of kept apart last year for a number of reasons and injury was part of it and Mike Conley's like trade as essentially uh exhibition was part of it as well but there's like all of these types of things that I think are uh interesting to kind of look at as far as like what they could be and maybe they're not but they have to be I think in this tier uh where do you have OKC may I ask the, I'm here I, I think this is a this is a great and I you know it wouldn't surprise me if by the by the midseason or something I have them in tier three like that I believe a lot in this group I think that Dagnall is a great coach they exceeded every reasonable expectation defensively and should have better defensive personnel this year and another thing I was thinking about with the Thunder uh, I was going through um, I've been watching summer league film because I didn't get to go as much in person this year and I was thinking about how much I like their their twenty one draft. Relative Relative, or sorry, I guess that'd be their 22 draft relative to what, how other teams fared. And generally,
generally speaking, this would be the year, though with Chet it gets complicated, that that really starts to matter. You could talk about, oh, you know, Jalen Williams, the the wing, was a, he was a better rookie than most, which I, I mean, I, I, had him, I think I had him second in my rookie of the year. But the year one to year two jump, especially for guys who are actually good, is massive. And so where Chet Holmgren fits into that is complicated because he missed functionally all of last year. So I think they're going to have more options. The other possibility that I've been fixated on with OKC is they have a ton of resources and at some point they're going to have to use them not just to draft picks but to combine them to get to get good players and if they're pushing strong this year like that time might be now i've been holding off on making some more bullish bets on them based off of a lot of my thought process is it's not dissimilar to the clippers the clippers had a lot of veteran guys where i was like oh those guys are all really good and the thunder have a lot of uh young guys where i'm like oh those guys could all really those guys could all could all be really good i mean they have they have like 17 nba quality players on their roster right now yeah and that's why like there's been already reports of it of um people are the there will be vultures circling when the okc gets to camp and has to make cuts uh and so a a lot of this is also just like shay right and okc is different what what i think is interesting about this group is um chicago doesn't have this again they're kind of in their own i might just put them in in a tier below um but like marketing halliburton bancaro and honestly like for me with orlando it's less of bancaro as it is bancaro wagner like it's that it's that combo it's those two guys um and it's, then it's having a calling card, having somebody with a tone setter, that type of stuff. And then there's Shea, who's like definitively above all of those guys. And like, honestly, you start going through Shea Gillis Alexander based off of his performance last last season. How many guys in that tier above is is would he be the best player on? He'd be the best player on New York. He'd be the best player on Sacramento. He would not be the best player on Golden State. Uh, he would be the best player on New Orleans, even with Zion. Uh, he would not be the best player on the Lakers, I think. Maybe like that's an interesting one with where and, LeBron and, and AK he'd are be, at. He'd be the best guy in the Wolves too. He'd be the best guy on the Wolves. He'd be the best guy on the Hawks. Uh, wouldn't be the best guy on the Clippers fully healthy. Wouldn't be the best guy on the Mavericks uh, fully healthy. Although the gap between him and Luca is probably smaller than it is between Luca and most players in the league. Um, and he would not be the best player on the Sixers, but boy, would I be a lot higher on them if it was you had Shea Gillis Alexander as a number two instead of James Harden. And if you had Shea Gillis Alexander able to be the number one in a playoff series. So it's like, when you have the guy that I'm that high on, they got to be at least in this tier. It, it, it's and you're well coached. Yeah, and they're extremely well coached. The path for them to accelerate is what I think is going to be interesting. Like, how does Presti manage this? Like, at what what's this timeline? You know, what what's he aiming for? I think that's a really interesting question to ask. Um, we're long, so I want to go ahead and and uh, keep going here. Sure. Uh, my one, two, three, four, my fifth tier, three teams. And I'll actually make this the uh, sixth tier because I'm going to put Chicago in one one above it. Uh, Toronto, Brooklyn, and Charlotte. And this is Brooklyn, I think, has a capacity to be a a four tier. I think they could probably be a a four tier team if things snapped exactly right for them. And if they made a really good Dorian Finney Smith trade, I think that they're like Nick Claxton was a defensive player of the year candidate last year. He was a serious defensive monster. The production isn't there to put him in any sort of like serious conversation for impactful guys because he just doesn't do enough. But Mikhail showed a ton. Cam Johnson's numbers are absurd. Like they are ridiculous. Go take a look at Cam Johnson's numbers 
numbers last year, both with the Suns and then especially with the with the Nets. Um, they got a lot of options for depth. I like the guys that they added. I actually think they get some internal improvement. I think Brooklyn's got some upside here. Toronto's like passing them, right? Like Toronto's on the way down. Brooklyn's on the way up. I will believe that the Raptors are giving up and, and trading guys when they do it. I can't believe it anymore. I'm refused to get involved in these conversations for OG or Pascal. I'm not high on Scotty Barnes relative to especially how the Raptors view him. Um, losing FAV was a pretty big disaster for them, given what they offered. And then there's Charlotte, who I don't want to put here. I want to put Charlotte in my last year with San Antonio, Houston, Detroit, Portland, and Washington. But I can't because everybody like this is one where everybody else is like, no, like Charlotte could be could be okay this year. I don't see it. I don't understand it. I have no idea what people are seeing, but I'm willing to be like, I'm not smart enough to see this. I'll put them here out of respect for the public consensus. Well, here, I, I can give you the basic argument. Charlotte had a positive net rating to in 21-22. It's good. I mean, like, the, and Lame- and I, I mean, what in the world are we going to get from Miles Bridges? Who, who knows there? But like, and they're, I think Clifford is a totally, totally credible NBA coach. They're presumably going to be at some point better owned and better run, though that might not be until 24, depending on how all this shakes out. It can take some time for these ownership groups. Like, do they have a new general manager by the deadline? Um, I wish they had a new front office before the draft, but that's just me. Um, I, I, I wonder about all those things. Um, but the horn it's like I think that it's tempting and there but there seems like this every year where the good the relatively good times were so long ago that we forget that they happened but like they were a completely credible team two years ago they they didn't make the playoffs anyway because they they're a disaster in the play-in but like the, there is a theory a theory of the case and they are a young team like so I have them and I call it dregs adjacent and I have them there and I have the Rockets there too on the idea that, you know, it's a very different concept, but the idea of organization for them, like having Van Vliet, having, even though I don't love Dylan Brooks, Dylan Brooks, I wish they had, if they had gotten Brooke, I would have them. I don't even know how high I would have had them. But the idea that not only do you move other guys down in the pecking order, but you make life easier and they also upgraded a lot at coach. I, 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 has his flaws, it appears, but he is also a very good basketball coach if that's what he if he can narrow his focus to that so like it wouldn't stun me if houston made the play in i don't think it's gonna happen i don't have it over 50 percent. i do think there's a path i can't get there i was kind of i was i I was ready to to be a little more bullish on houston and i think i am bullish on i i think that my take on them is they're gonna be better than the record the record's still gonna be awful Mm -hmm. Uh, and and they might they might benefit from the west being strong again where they like if they can get Oh, no, that's right. They only have their pick if it's top four, right? That's right. So then yeah, I was going to say they benefit, but no, OKC probably benefits. Yeah. Um, oh, 31, 31 and a half over under for Houston. And it's this was like a very stark thing is like, do you want to bet them to go over 32? And it's like, oh, I, <laughs> I don't, oh that's, I, that's gross. I don't want to do that. And so then you're like, well, if you're betting the under, then you're probably saying that they're in the 20s. And if they're in the 20s, how bad are they? And you're like, well, they're pretty bad. And, and that, the gravity pulls in one direction for teams. If you're if you're not sure about an over 32 bet, then generally teams get dragged down together. Yeah, and it's just like I, I, I think 
I love the moves. I really do. Like, I love adding Fred Van Vliet. I love – this is part of the problem is – and the Houston fans hate me for this. Like, I'm high on them, and they still find a way to be upset with me. The lineup of Fred Van Vliet, Amen Thompson, Amen Thompson, um, Jabari Smith Jr., Alperin Shangoon, and whoever – like, Jay Sean Tate, whoever you want to fill in. If you want to play, you know, Shangoon at four and Landale at five. Those combos I'm really interested in. Like, the four-man lineup of Van Vliet – Oh, it's going to be, it's going to be, uh, sorry, it's going to be Dylan Brooks is, is who's going to be the three in that spot. Um, but the, the four man combo of Van Vliet, Thompson, Shangoon, and Smith, I'm very in. I'm extremely in on that combo. Uh, and then you add in Jalen Green, and I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't like it as much. Uh, now maybe, I, you know who it, might be a really good fifth in some of those? Who? KPJ. I've had this long yeah. running theory that Kevin Porter Jr. He's a he's an off guard in both offense and defense, and now they have a men Thompson and Fred VanVleet who can actually slide him over. Yes. His, he's elite as a spot-up shooter. So we'll see kind of like what this looks like. I'll be very interested to see what the offensive splits look like. I'm with you on Udoka is going to make them look like a professional basketball team. And that goes a long way towards you being competent. Like just looking like you know what you're doing, that goes a long way in wins and losses. You will pick up – the margins will be slimmer. Nights when teams are having a bad night and not motivated and banged up and just tired, you will catch them more often if you are an organized basketball squad with actual NBA. A talent so there's all of this capacity I, I still have questions about shot selection i still have questions about the front court depth the defense should probably be a little bit worse a lot of this is just how much can you reasonably expect an improvement because they were so bad last year um as like as a marker you know i raised them a full four points in my power rating which that's a huge move that's a that's a monstrous move and that only gets me to 28 wins Mm -hmm. if i move them six if i give them essentially the impact if we say that fred van vliet dylan brooks uh jock landale the other guys that like the maturation internal improvement and emo ime odoka are with the val are worth the value of adding a Nikola Jokic, which is six points to this team. I still only get them to thirty two point nine. That's as as high as I can get them in wins. And so that's the, that's the gap that we're starting from. Like if you take out the tanking and everything else, and you move them six full points, you only get to a thirty three win team, which is an over. But that's like if everything were to go right, and I cannot get there, so they're going to have to stay pretty low. I think that this is the year to still be bearish on Houston and be ready for next season to be very bullish on them. That's fair. I, I Anything else? I mean, I think we the, the bottom teams are kind of the bottom teams. We'll end up talking about them a lot over the course of the uh, course. Of Washington, the Washington and Detroit are going to be as bad as I think, right? Like, there's no yes. reason. To think, like, I mean, so I still, for, for Detroit, like, their overall talent level is actually better than I think some think, but the, they're, they're not going to be able to put that into practice because their lineups are also weird. Yeah. If Monty Williams can, like, get... It's so funny that I'm arguing for a coach to have more of a voice in personnel, but if he could have more of a voice there and they can get some lineups out there that have actual shooting, like that would be pretty exciting. Yeah. And then Washington, I just think it's Washington it's, will be a fun bad team, but they will be a bad team. Yeah. They lost they lost too many guys that are and and the Spurs, I think so. There, there's a theory that they will be better. Like basically, they they have a lot of guys that I like: Keldon Johnson, Vassell, obviously Wemby. Um, and they have these functional vets. I just don't think they're going to have the pressure. Like I don't think they're going to pressure themselves to be that team. And then they can just move some of those guys out for parts. And they take this year, get a pick, and then they they push for next year. Sort of like you were talking about the Rockets. I do like the overall. And when I did this exercise, I essentially have one, two. 
three, four, five, six, seven, and the Sixers, if they get good return, I have eight teams that could win the title next season. And that's kind of what I want to see. And there are the- so few bad teams, too. Like, that's the, which, which is not only exciting, but also an argument that the NBA should expand because. Yeah, they- I, but I also think this is probably, again, I think this is, we're in preseason. And so it's like weighted up. Sure. And some of these teams, we will just like absolutely be squashing into this. The I've gotten by grade. So into the C's and the D's. For more sure. of like the, the C and D tier will get a lot fatter. I think in the top, we'll get a lot thinner as we go along. Well, this has been an absolute delight. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Matt Moore for taking the time to come on. You can read his ex- excellent work at the Action Network. You can listen to his excellent work, not only on the Action Network, but also Locked on NBA and Locked on Nuggets. And I truly love having him on. And thinking about the league in terms of team strength right now is not something I always do. This is more of an off-season. I don't think full league, you know, do the division capsule pods, which hopefully are coming soon. So I love that Matt wanted to do this and that we put it together, and I, I really enjoyed the process of it, as I always do with him. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe, download every episode, really whatever podcast player you use. And if you want this on a podcast player that it does not exist on, please let me know. And I can pass that to people who know how to fix that. It's not me. You can also help the show by helping other people find Real GM Radio. That can be leaving a rating and review. That can be social media, word of mouth. Really do appreciate it. And the most important thing you can do for this podcast and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors. For us, that is FanDuel. FanDuel.com slash Boston, and you get up to $200 in bonus bets, win or lose, which is awesome. And you can also check out my other work, uh, Dunked On, Dunked On Prime, still going strong. We produce a ton of basketball content in the offseason. I was watching Summer League film this morning in preparation for our next Summer League episode, which will be coming out soon. And then we have offseason grades, and then Nate will do the detailed team-by-team recordings with experts on those specific subject matters. Then I should have some written work at The Athletic. Now that offseason is toning down, I actually have some time to think about and bring together some of these pieces. I have some ideas that I'm in process on. Thankfully, editorial has been patient with me. And if you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is an absolute promise. I don't play. I don't promise to reply, though I, I intend to most of the time. But that is all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.